We're just going to classify us real quick. Some of us in here are goal setters. If you're a goal setter, raise your hand. Goal setters, good. Some of us are either goal setters. Usually you're goal setters or you're fixers. If you're kind of a fixer, raise your hand there. So you, you don't necessarily set goals, but you see problems and you try to fix them. We all do set goals, but we think about it in different ways. Uh, one of the things that I think that we need to set forth as a goal this year is to actually do one of the greatest and highest works we could possibly do as we have been brought into a family. We've been brought into a kingdom, and the greatest work, the highest work we can do is the holiest work we could do is what we're going to talk about today and over the next several weeks. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, I uh, want us to learn together over the next few weeks. It's going to be a sermon time when we get together, but it's going to feel more like a workshop because what we're going to do is we're going to learn from the master about how to do this thing that is the greatest work we could possibly endeavor to participate in as Christians. Uh, now, I'm not the only one that says that. There are a lot of people that say it, but this particular work, you might be surprised uh, that most of us would say we know what it is, but we have differing views about what it is. Most of us would say that we do it at least sometimes, but we may not have a, a right understanding of how to do that, or we may not be confident in how we do it. But it is something that is actually, I believe, according to what God has made us to do, is God has made us to be in relationship with Him, to be with Him now and forever never to be parted from him once more once we become a Christian as a believer in Jesus. As his Holy Spirit lives in us, he communes with us, and he has called us to commune with him. And that begins and ends and is sustained on prayer. Now you may think I've heard a lot about prayer. I think I've got this down. Or you may think I've heard a lot and I still don't know what to do. Uh, all that hopefully will be moved forward as we work through where Jesus tells us how to pray. I've heard lots of ways to pray. There's lots of good ways to do it. I've heard of lots of acronyms to use to remember the things we should pray for. But I tend to be the kind of guy that just, when I see something plain in Scripture where God says, do this this way, that's the way I like to pray generally in my regular times of communing with the Lord. Even in the fast times when it's just all of a sudden, even when it's one of those times where it's on the fly because there's a great need and you feel overwhelmed, I like to go to this place because where else should you go except for when the Master, our Lord, our Savior says, pray then like this. And I think all too often we come up with lots of ways and patterns and we get into ruts even about prayer. But I think today, in the next few weeks, we're going to see some really interesting things that can spur our prayer time with the Lord, our communing with God into some great places so what I'm going to talk about today, first of all, is what is prayer and why we should do it. Secondly, I'm going to give us two warnings concerning prayer. And then lastly, I'm going to begin the process as we walk through this together of talking with you about how we are to actually pray. And so I think that is one that if we do that in the way that God prescribes, we will see a life change in our own selves that will change everything else we do as Christians. And so let's Look together at the passage I want to, to speak with you from today. It's Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5. We're going to go all the way through verse 18 before we're done. But today we're just going to focus on verses 5 through 9. So let, let me read that together and then I'll actually pray for us and then we'll begin our time. And when you pray, chapter 6 verse 5, and when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrite. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners 
that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we need you this morning. So Lord, I ask you, would you please open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have to show us about who you are and about how we should respond to you so that you receive all the glory and so that we are changed more and more into the image of Christ, into the way we were originally created to be. Lord, help us this morning. We need you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Gary Miller uh, is a, one of the many theologians that talks about prayer. He has a statement that I think is telling. He says, the evangelical church in America and in the West, and all over the world, but especially in the West, is slowly but surely giving up on prayer. The problem, he thinks, and I tend to agree with him, and so do many others, is that partly it's kind of two things. Life is too easy for us in so many ways. Many of our needs are met on a regular basis by things that come easy. And in addition to that, we are way too distracted because we are way too busy is we do not stop to seek the Lord. We try our best to overcome, knowing that we will fall short, for to err is human, right? But I would endeavor to say to us that the reason why we don't see great acts of God in our midst in a way that we have always hoped for, and at first at least in our Christian lives thought we would see, is one, that we don't recognize them because we're not tuned into what God's doing because we are not communing with Him. And two, that we are not actually endeavoring to be in communion with God through prayer on a regular basis in a way that is the way He instructs us to do so that we might know who He is and be changed by Him and see Him work fantastic things in our midst. Because He is a God that works supernaturally and naturally And he wants to see things happen here, and he will make things happen here. Whether we pray for them or not, the difference will be whether or not we get to enjoy the participation with him based on our relationship with him or lack thereof. The hard truth is that desperation is what often leads us to prayer. But we do not recognize the dire situations in which we live most of the time. We do not recognize how sinful we really are. We do not recognize how close to death we walk every day. We do not recognize how much there is a need for God to save us, not just spiritually, but physically, emotionally, intellectually. Every moment that we live, we are in His hands relying upon Him, yet we live as though we are our own many gods. And I think you could argue the point, like, that's not me, or maybe I do that a little bit, but what is it to pray then? Why does that matter? Let me give you what a few guys say that I stand behind that are way smarter than I will ever be. Timothy Keller says, Prayer is continuing a conversation that God has started through His Word and His grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with Him. I think most of us live lives that actually feel anemic 
compared to what we are promised in Scripture. You, when you think about it, when you first became a Christian, you were slammed with the truth of who God is. You met him head on. He changed you, and it overwhelmed you. And then you were so excited about it, and you went to tell people that you thought would be excited for you, and they seemed to not be that excited as you are inside. So you learned quickly to kind of squelch that. And then you began to see that what the promises are in Scripture are actually not the promises that we experience in the fullness that we see them in Scripture. And so we begin to live lives thinking that that really is not going to be for the here and now, or that may be metaphorical, or it may be something that I kind of thought would happen, but really I don't see that happening in my life. That's just not how it's going to be until maybe Jesus comes back. But the truth is, really, I think the problem is, is that we are living what I have already said is like an anemic life because we don't fully encounter God on a regular basis because we are not spending time with him face to face the way he is intended to have us with him for all time. The reason why he sent his son to live and die for us on the cross, the reason why he sent his spirit to live in us is so that we might be in full relationship regularly speaking with, hearing from, encountering, experiencing him in a manifest real way. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Prayer is the highest activity of the human soul, before which all else pales into significance. Does that feel like your prayer life? Often it does not feel like mine. He says, Man at his greatest and highest... He is that when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. He goes on and says, There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Prayer is undoubtedly the ultimate test because a man can speak to others with great ease, more so than he can speak to God. This is a truth for many of us. And Jesus wants to address these things. He starts off by giving us two warnings about praying and about how we wrongly pray. So I want to hit those first, and then we'll drop into the beginning of what it looks like for us to pray in a way that is right. So look with me in verses 5, verses 5 through 8. Let me say this ahead of time. The reason for these warnings is that we are sinful. We are sinful, even when we are praying. Sin is something that follows us all the way to the throne of God until Jesus comes to take us back and eradicates that sin out of us. When we go to him, we are still full of sin. We are sinful at the very core of our very nature. We are sinful. And it changes how we do what we do. Here's the problem. We don't think that when when we're praying that we might be sinning in our prayers. But I think that many of us do on a regular occasion because we haven't connected those dots or because we're unaware of how we pray and how it's wrong. So let's look at the warnings. Chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. This is the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So that seems to be pretty straightforward, right? Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't stand on the street corners. Don't try to get everybody's attention when you pray. Don't do it to be seen. It sounds easy, easy enough. Let's go on to the next thing. But actually, I would say that it's really hard to see how we do this. One form 
which this takes is the terrible sin of praying in a public praying in a public place or in a public manner. I mean, publicly it means just before other people, even our friends, our family. When we do that in a way that suggests a desire to have an effect on the people present rather than to approach God himself. You ever see that? You ever do that? You ever prayed something out loud, say, I'm going to pray now, and you pray for the person in front of you in a way that you're trying to change them. Like you try to say things like, Lord, I pray that you would help us to really trust in you right now. When really what you're doing is telling that person they need to trust in them more. Okay, this is one of the ways in which we do this. We try to teach through our prayers. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer, as we see here, when he says in verse 5, Verse 6, I mean, when you, when you pray, this is the command, go into your room and shut the door, shutting the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. You're not praying to the people around you. I didn't even realize how I might be doing this. And one time I was at breakfast with a friend of mine in Frostburg who was not a believer. Uh, we met for breakfast at a little coffee shop in town. And uh, while we were there, I just, we ordered some food before we were going to eat. I said, hey, do you mind if I, if I pray for our time together and for this meal? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I prayed. It wasn't until after I got through and I looked up, I watched. He was staring at me the whole time, right? And when I prayed, I prayed like, thank you, Lord, for my friend. Thank you for this food. Thank you for what you've done for us. I, I prayed that our time would be something that's encouraging for us both. And I prayed a few things like that. And then I got through and I said, amen. And he was staring at me, kind of just, you know, reading me, watching me and felt very awkward. You ever been there before? It feels awkward when you pray out loud in front of someone. And uh, I just asked him, what do you think prayer is about? He said, well, I just think it's something you do to, that's religious, but it's to say nice things about the person you're with. He said, I've seen it a lot of times. And I started recounting all the things I had said, and I thought to myself, well, he could be right. Like, he, you could definitely do that for that reason. And part of my reasoning in that moment was to let him know I was praying for him, right? But prayer is for an audience of one. We pray together, but the audience is one person. That is the one who created us. It is not for anyone else. So we do not pray to be heard. We do not pray for others to see us and to think us great or mighty. We pray because the one who made us and loves us wants to commune with us. We may do it in the midst of others, even though it says here in secret we should pray. But we also do pray publicly. We know that's not thrown out. We'll get to that in a minute. But look at this really unique thing that he says here. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What kind of reward do you think we get for praying in that way? Their reward, obviously, is the pat on the back. Their reward is to be seen as religious leaders, to be seen as those who are smart or who are intelligent or know the Bible or, you know, they're big people. That's the idea, right? But the reward for us, what is the reward? It's simple. If prayer is about relationship with God, as everything is intended to be in the Scriptures, then the reward is actually being in that relationship with Him. I don't spend time with my wife so that I can get a reward for it. I spend time with my wife so I can be with my wife. That's the reward, right? I don't, I don't do that so that she'll be nice to me and make me biscuits and, and, and bacon, you know? I like biscuits and bacon, but I, I spend time with her because I want to be with her because she's the reward. It's the same with him. When you commune with the Lord, it's to, to be rewarded by being in his presence. When's the last time we found reward in our hearts, joy in our hearts, just because we were with the Lord. 
When's the last time you prayed and your hope throughout the time of prayer before, maybe after, was that I would experience God in a way that I just knew I was with Him? That's what it's for. That's why he says, go in secret. Even if you're in the midst of other people, you pray like it's me and you, is what he's saying. That's why we pray. Go on, look at the next one. We don't pray to be seen by others. We also don't pray with empty phrases and many words. Look at verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's break this down. Um, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Some translations say vain phrases. Some say vain repetitions. That's because the word used here is a really weird word. It's a Greek word that's not used anywhere else that we can find anywhere else in the Greek history. Okay, there's, there's, it's, just, it's a word that's kind of made up for the moment. In fact, there's some people that think the word is made up because when you say the word out loud, it kind of sounds like you're babbling. That that word is actually a word that's made for that purpose, to sound like that. Like the word barbarians was made to sound like that as well. That's, that, that when you heard them speaking, they sound like bar, 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 bar. And so the barbarian is how that word came into be because it sounded like what you heard when you heard somebody speak of a language that wasn't sophisticated like yours. Okay, so this, this is, theoretically, some people think that's the case. Others think it, that it, it's stuttering, stammering, okay, because of some other background the word might come from. We don't really know. What we do know is that this phrasing here in the ESV is a really good idea based off what we see here and in other places in Scripture. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles would say things over and over and over again, in a repetitious kind of way, just to get it out over and over again, hoping that their many askings of that thing would make their gods turn and give them what they want. They would also, if pick up empty phrases, they think they'll be heard for their many words, they would say the names of all the gods, they'd repeat them over and over again, and if they got the right name, they thought that God, their gods, little g, would respond in a way that would make those things happen. It was a way to kind of trick them into giving what they want. Also, they would say things, empty phrases, like they would say, you know, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, I've done this for you, I ask you to do this for me now, God. But I think we do it in some different ways than that. Sometimes we do that way. Sometimes we say, well, Lord, I've I've gone to church every day. I've done what I said I would do. I I, I pray every day to you. I I just want this thing now. Prayer is not a bartering system, right? It's a relationship. We don't try to persuade thinking our spouses you don't say hey well i got up and i did this thing and i made the coffee and i made the breakfast and now you're going to do this for me right that's not how that works if it works for you i'm surprised it would never work for me that's not what it's about prayer is not a mathematical formula and by the way god hates empty religious ramblings let me step on some toes real quick I'm not pointing anybody out in particular, but here's some ways in which we might throw up empty phrases. But what I mean by that is that we don't think really about what we're saying. Do you ever pray, ask your spouse, ask a friend that prays with you to help you out with this. Do you ever say things in prayer that are just filling the gaps? Do you ever say things in prayer that are just filling the gaps? Think of it like this. How many times do you say the word Father in your prayer time? How many times... Do you say, holy God, or Father God, or whatever? Just because you're, you're, instead of saying, uh, or and, it becomes a religious, uh, or and, and we insert God's name that we like to call him. How many times do you say things that you think God just wants to hear? How many times do you say things that you need to say? Are you thinking through that? I mean, how many times do we hear, and we're all guilty of this if you've been a 
Christian for any length of time, you've heard people do it, and so now you do it. Lord, thank you for this day. We may start off a prayer that way, not even thinking about what we're saying. Our, our Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, we start off that way. We're not even really thinking about what we're saying. We're just saying a phrase that in our hearts is empty in the moment. Take captive every moment, every word, and think about what we say. It's about a relationship. If I just speak empty phrases to you or to my spouse or to my kids, it, it means nothing. We oftentimes get too caught up in saying religious things. Let's see what God says about that. Isaiah 1, verse 10 and on. You might make a note and go back and, and read this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams, the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. That's what God's saying to his children. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, listen, he's talking to his people, his chosen people. He says, when, I spread out, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool, if you are willing. Look, here, here is the thing, right? We can go without even noticing it that we're just throwing up a prayer to the Lord because we have a quiet time in the morning and we got to get our prayer time in and we're thinking about other things the whole time. And he's like, you're not even talking to me. I don't want this. Doing a ritualistic religious thing doesn't do anything for your relationship with the one who gave everything for you. Like, don't even do it if we're just going to do that. It's better not to do the thing if it's all ritualistic or if it's all rote or if it's all just religious than to do it not at all. It's better not to do it at all than to do that thing that way. That's a crazy statement. Because anybody that you know would be unhappy with you if you spoke to them that way, right? So stop. Think. Ask the Lord to give you the words even and begin to pray. And we'll see how to do that here as we go. Another one, Ecclesiastes 5. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Let me make sure I'm clear here, though. It's not wrong to be persistent in praying for something from the Lord. Okay? That's not wrong. Hear me right. What's wrong is to do so without thinking about what you're saying and to do so as if you think you're going to convince God to do the thing you want him to do just because you're persistent. Jesus is a very good example of persistence. The night before he is crucified, he goes to the garden to pray. He comes back after praying And the second time, it says he went away and prayed saying the same words. The same thing. 
And then we see it again, so leaving them again the third time, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. It's okay to be persistent. It's okay to to reach out to the Lord and to be persistent in your prayers. But don't just do that because you think it's an equation to get what you want. In fact, what he wanted is really important, right? In fact, what he wanted was, Lord, I want to be delivered from this, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And I wonder if in the struggle within him, never sinning, if Jesus went back and prayed until finally his heart really was the will of the Lord's, his Father's. Repeatedly went back until it was time. As John Piper puts it, it's the empty, mindless repetition that this verse warns against. Not the intense and fully engaged pleading with God about something from dozens of fresh angles. It's the mindlessness. And it's not wrong to plead persistently with God, but our most persistent prayer needs to be for God to conform our will to His. That's really a huge part of what prayer is about. It's for us to be changed into the way we should be by going to the Father and saying, God, I really want this. I really see these things to be needed. But nevertheless, what you want is what I really want more than anything. So if you don't want this, help change me to want what you want. Help change me to be okay in whatever your answer is. Because I want to love you above all things even above the healing of my friend or family member, even above the salvation of someone I love and care about, I want you more than that because you are the one that deserves all my love, all my glory. Those are hard things, but He can make those differences in you. He can make those differences in you. So Jesus says, pray then, verse 9, pray then like this. We're going to break it down into two pieces for this week. This is going to be the thing. You can pray about a lot of things, all you want to pray about this week. But here's the two things I'm going to lead us into this week for you to focus on praying differently maybe than you've prayed before. He says, pray then like this. The disciples, right, are standing right there. He says, this is how you pray. So we need to listen. This is how you pray. Our Father, actually the, the Greek says, our Father in the heavens. Our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Or holy be your name, or made holy be your name. Let's break that down. Our Father in the heavens. And your translation probably says, like mine, our Father in heaven. We need to understand when we see this, Jesus is saying, this is how you pray, and it begins with a relational statement at the very beginning. Because biblical prayer is always relational. It's not rote or religious, it's always relational. Lloyd-Jones says to us, the most important thing when we pray is that we must realize we are approaching God. That is the one thing that matters. It is simply this question of recollection, as it is called. If only we would realize that we are approaching God, everything else would be all right. Francis Chan, one of my favorite preachers that's still around, his book, Crazy Love, begins off in one of the first pages of the book. He says, stop praying. And then he takes us to Revelation 4 and says, here's what you're doing when you pray. You step into the throne room of this. We'll get there in a second. A.W. Tozer says the same thing Lloyd-Jones does. He says, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Because that means that who you're thinking about is actually who you're worshiping. And if it's not the God of the universe that created all things and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, then you're worshiping a false God, so therefore everything is wrong. 
the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God, especially when you approach him in prayer. And so here's some things some of us think about, and I was going to give pictures, but I, I won't take the time or make you laugh that many times. Here's some things we think about sometimes. And just think, which one classifies me the most? Real quick. Some of us think about an old man with a lightning bolt, right? Because we kind of like think that's what God does to us. Maybe we don't think that exactly, but we think, man, if I step out of line, God's going to get me. I better not do this. I'm afraid. Okay, we should fear the Lord. He could squash you in a moment, right? But at the same time, he's not an old man with a lightning bolt just waiting to, to zap you. Our Father, who is in heaven. How about this transcendent, distant God, like the Greek God, Zeus, right? God with little g there. Maybe we think of him as far away, not very connected. He creates, he does a few things, but really I'm on my own, doing my own thing. That's not the God of the Bible. Or maybe you think of a grandfather figure, right? Remember George Burns in the movies? Maybe you think of him like that. Maybe you think of it as the handyman fix-it guy. You may think, that's weird. No, it's not, because it's, it's, the only time you may go to him is when you need something from him to fix something in your life, right? You're Bob Vila instead of God. Or maybe, maybe you see him as a doctor. We have a lot of those you can pick from in here. Maybe, maybe it's a doctor you see him as, or maybe you see him as, as, as a famous doctor like um, Dr. Carson. You, know? maybe you see him as a guy that's real knowledgeable, can heal you, can do that. You go to him for all the physical ailments you have. Maybe as a fireman or as a policeman to put out the fires in your life or to put law and order and justice into your life when you need that. You may think of him in that kind of way. Maybe you think of him as a drill sergeant like Gunny. Maybe you think of him like drill sergeant type that's just always commanding with all the laws and all this stuff. You better stay in line or it's going to be bad for you. Or maybe, maybe you picture him like your dad, which may be some of the problem because our dads are faulty sinners, right? I love my dad very much, but he was a sinner just as much as every one of us. And so we have all these ideas about what God is like, but truly, if we're going to know who God is, we need to go to him and let him declare who he is to us. We are in relationship with the God of the universe who will receive all the glory that he is due. He is holy. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Recognize to whom you pray, and it will change everything about how you pray. Yes, he is imminent. He is imminent, our Father. He's also transcendent. He's greater than we can imagine and beyond us. In fact, Revelation 4, write this down. Go back and look. Revelation 4, 1 through 11. I'm going to read through it. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open to heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. In other words, it's beyond comprehension and beyond our words. He's infinite. Speaking about finite guys, speaking about infinite things. He says, around the throne were 24, el- 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Begin beyond our understanding, right? And he says, and bef- before the, the throne, there was, it, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're mandating worship for the king. They see all things, nothing can approach unseen. They need not guard the king of the universe, but they are there to declare his holiness and his purity forever and ever. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Listen, they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, Lord. Everything that defines how important they are, everything that defines all they've worked for, everything that defines who they are, everything that defines their value, their essence, they throw it at the feet of the king and say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. I say, Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. I don't deserve that. You deserve that. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the throne room you can boldly approach and enter because of the work of Jesus on your behalf to live the life you could not live, to die the death you deserve, to usher you into the throne room, to be a part of the family of God, not just a worshiping servant, be adopted into the family of God so that you can experience life fulfilled like you've never had it in the presence of the God who can destroy all things in a moment but who instead loves you so much he gave you Jesus so he could have you as his sons and daughters. This is the God you approach. Eminence, our Father, transcendence, the God of the universe. This is where we go when we pray. By the Spirit connecting us with him through Christ, we are in his presence, that God in his presence. This is why the first three petitions here when Jesus is praying like this, the first three petitions in his prayer are about God. Everything in this universe is meant to point to him first. That's why it says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he gets into the me thing. He's also, though, not just that crazy, awesome, huge God. He's also our father because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Like we saw in Ephesians 1, like you see in Galatians 4, where it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That language, Abba, is the language that a toddler would say about his daddy. That's the word used there. So I know you feel really irreverent when somebody says to to God, they call him daddy. I, I feel weird too sometimes when I hear that. Okay? But to be honest with you, that's in the Bible. That's what Abba means. That's the kind of relationship he wants. He doesn't just want this reverent, rote, religious conversation. He wants you to, to come to him as a child comes to their father who loves them and trusts them and cries out to them just because they want to be with him. And whatever they need, they ask of him. He says, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. See, we need to seek God's face before we seek the gifts we desire from him because that will change everything for us, even what we want. And we can find the face of God in the face 
of Jesus. And that's how we know who he is. In fact, John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. That's how we know what God is like in a real personal way. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, in Jesus' name. It changes everything. And our Father wants us to come to him, and he wants us to come to him often. This is his desire. He yearns for that like I yearn for my children to come and want to be with me. Like I had one of my kids this morning, Daddy, can I go with you? Yes, but I have to work. Okay, I just want to go. I want to be with you. That's what he wants for us. You you don't have to convince God what's best for you. He knows. Way better than you think you know. Way better than I think I know. We don't have to persuade God to do what's good for you. We are his children if we're in Christ Jesus. He wants to give good things to us. What you need, what we all need, is to remember that he sent Jesus to live the life we could not live so that he could die the death we deserve, so that he could adopt us into his family because he wants to be our father. That means he wants to see us face to face every day throughout the day so we can enjoy him and he can enjoy us. So here's what you need to do. Here's what we need to do. We need to pray through these phrases with concentric circles. You may think, well, this is so short. It won't take any time at all. Break it down. Our Father. God, you are my Father. Remind me what you've done for me to make me your son. Or let me revel in the truth of that for a minute. And then you move on. Lord, Lord, I want my kids to see you as the real Father, the greater Father. But you work in their hearts that they might see it through me and even in spite of me. Lord, pray for your family. Pray, pray for your job, people at your work, to see God as Father. That he might be seen as the one who loves them so much he gave his only son so they could be sons and daughters with him too. Father, manifest yourself in such a way that they will see you in me and in spite of me wherever I go for your glory. They will see that I'm your son and you're my dad because you love me that much. And then he says, hallowed be your name. We get into the whole part of just in heaven, right? Talk about the fact that he's in heaven and that he is God over all creation. That, that Lord, you're over all things. I submit all my problems to you, Lord. You can handle it. Or, or all the things I'm worried about and holding tight, Lord, I, I give them to you because you're the one who holds all things together. Like it's, it's yours, Lord. Lord, help, help my family give those problems they're so worried about to you. Let them put their hope in you because you're over all things, right? I mean, this changes how you pray when you pray, our Father in heaven. And holy be your name. It's basically saying, it's this weird, weird thing in theological terms and, and, and the exegesis, the idea of how to interpret the Greek here. It's what we call a, a divine passive, this, this verb. It's, it's a command. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. It's like we're commanding God to be holy. It's weird though, it's because we're saying, you make yourself holy, God. God, be holy. You are holy. So make your name holy. Holy be your name, right? Commanding that. 
Seek first the glory of God, not his gifts, right? He knows what you need. He knows what you have as cares. He, he cares for you more than you could ever care for yourself. So don't be anxious about tomorrow, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All you need to be taken care of, seek the Lord. Seek his glory. That means seek his name being made holy in you and others. So then you begin to pray things like, God, make your name holy in me. That I live out a life that is different and changed because of you, because you're my father, because you are so beyond understanding and so awesome and glorious, and because you have saved me out of the depth of my sin. Make your name holy at my workplace. Make your name holy in my community. Make your name holy in my country. Just delve into all those pieces, concentric circles from inside out. Begin to pray these things. And this prayer that we see here would then become not just something you pray in like 15 seconds as you say it out loud, but something you could spend hours praying in. But guided to pray then like Jesus says to pray. I learned a long time ago. That's where we're closed down, right? I learned a long time ago. Just because I'm saying something doesn't mean I'm being heard. Just because I'm saying something doesn't mean it's drawing a relationship together. You know what I'm saying? You You know what I'm saying? Guys, you know what I'm saying with spouses? Just because I say something doesn't mean my wife understands or hears what I'm trying to say. Right? We speak different languages sometimes. And I can say something or give an answer. It doesn't mean that she's going to get what I'm trying to say. So I needed to learn very quickly. I learned I needed to do this. It's taken forever to this point, 10 years, to get better at it, but I'm not there. It's taken time to recognize I don't need to speak to her in the way that I think is best for me to communicate. I need to learn to communicate in the way that she receives best. Maybe you and I need to learn how to speak in a way that God desires us to speak to him more than the way we want to speak ourselves. Let us be conformed to how we should speak to the one who loves us that much in a way that is received for his glory and his goodness and his grace and his kindness, especially in Jesus. For he says, pray then like this. Pray then like this. How would it change our prayer time? More so, how would it change our very lives? If we began to pray like this, and we experienced God's presence manifest, really. If we saw how he's working. Jesus said, I'll only do what I see the Father doing. You know how he knew that? Because he went away and prayed at night, and in the mornings he went away and prayed and talked to his Father, and listened, and then saw where he was working, and then he did what he saw his Father doing. Because he communed with him, he knew him, so he did the things he was doing. Maybe our problem, we feel not used by God, we feel like we're disconnected, we feel like we're never going to get what we were promised, is because we're just disconnected from what God's doing in and around and through us. Let us begin a journey this year where we aspire to work in the holiest of works, where we aspire to work in the greatest of works that we could possibly endeavor to be a part of. Maybe we would not just look different, maybe we would see this community turned upside down and brought into the kingdom in a way that we've yearned to see for years. If we just begin to work in the highest and holiest work of just spending time with our Father in the way in which he's asked us to do. Let that be our New Year resolution. Let that be what we begin this week as we say, Father, in the heavens, make your name holy in me, in us. And let me be a part of it with you, Father, Dad. God, we ask that of you right now. Would you work in us 
you change us and shape us? Lord, we know that you can do so many things, but we are unable to do them in and of ourselves. But Father, we ask you right now, not just to work in our hearts to change us, but Lord, to help us to love you rightly for who you are, for who you are. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the fame to help us to speak to you the way that we would best hear from you. Let us understand how to communicate with you because you want us face to face with you. Even for some of us, let us just turn to you for the first time on a regular basis and try to commune with you. Even though we feel like idiots or ignorant sometimes, Lord, as we approach you, knowing that you love us anyway and you've proven that in Jesus. And maybe, Lord, for the first time somebody hears of this and has heard the, the truth of the gospel that's pierced their heart for the first time today, and that today they can begin to speak to you now. I pray that as we sing and as we pray and as we leave, that you would lead them to talk to you, and that you would be really present in their lives and change them for their good and for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name.